0: WCNC Charlotte this is flashpoint thanks for joining us here on flashpoint i'm ben thompson it is a big year ahead for charlotte city leaders city council set to take up the unified development ordinance it's the guide how the city grows in the decades to come when it comes to things like development and zoning there's still time for you to weigh in we'll tell you how and there's also transit and transportation the transformative mobility plan promises to be just that transformative we're talking rails and roads trails sidewalks you name it it would come with a proposed one cent sales tax to create revenue for the network, but it requires buy-in. Buy-in from stakeholders, city leaders, regional leaders, Raleigh, Washington. And we should say all of this would have to happen in election year. Last year's city elections were delayed because of the census and then delayed a second time by a court ruling. Primaries right now are set for May. General elections still up in the air. So all that means council members setting the agenda right now might not be there. By year's end. Joining us today, Charlotte City Councilman Tark Bakari and Larkin Eggleston. City Council members, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Happy New Year, by the way, to both of you. Good to see you. All right, I'm going to ask you both uh, the same open ended question to begin here. Um, what do you see as the priority for you and council, of course, uh, headed into this new year? Uh, Tark, I'll begin with you.
1: Well, um, there's a lot of priorities. And I, I, on one side, the first things that jump to mind are the huge ticket items we have to deal with. Um, obviously, public safety being up there, obviously the UDO and us rezoning the entire city uh, being up there, and obviously transportation uh, and the transformational mobility network and whatever that ends up meaning, and and then the election in general and, and what we're going to do. So there's a ton, but if I had to pick just one, I would say um, public safety has to be it. While we've seen some improvements in numbers. You know, we've seen uh, some other numbers get worse, and this is not a a game where you can look at any numbers at a point in time. So um, you have to be looking at it in in a broader range of time. And there's still a lot of of challenges around the public safety, crime, officer uh, morale and support areas that that need to be my top focus.
0: And and I want to get to some of those numbers coming up in just a second, because we do have those. They were released this past week. Larkin, let me go and get you your, your priority for the year.
2: Yeah, I mean, things like public safety and affordable housing are going to continue to be priorities every year because they're things that we've made great gains on, but that we're never done with the work. I think the things that are maybe going to be specifically unique to 2022 are, as as Tark mentioned, completing the UDO and, and working on this transformational mobility network. And that might be something that we don't see um, come to fruition in 2022 so much. Maybe it's 2023, but I think there's a lot of work to be done this year. So those two, I think, are the two that people ought to be keeping their eye on specifically this year.
0: We're always getting new new viewers and, and people who might not always follow local politics. And you say UDO and, and you talk about Unified yeah. Development Ordinances. You're like, okay, it's talking about zoning, development, that sort of thing. W- w- explain for folks who wanna catch up, why is this so important? And also, we should say, there's still plenty of time for public comment.
2: There is, and actually the public comment period just got extended to, I believe, March 18th. And so there's a lot more time for people to go in, uh, get up to speed on what the Unified Development Ordinance is, weigh in with their feedback. But what it is, is it's bringing together plans, many of which are decades old, and it's bringing them together in one plan. It's making sure that they're speaking to each other and they're not in conflict with each other. Uh, We haven't updated our land use regulations and policies in a long time, other than in bits and pieces. And this is gonna be one wholesale look at all of those things that guide the way that our city's built. Um, and what our city is going to look like in the future. So it is critically important. There are varying opinions on how that should be done. Um, And we do want as much public input as we can get, which is why we've extended that comment period for folks. Tark, what is your concern when
0: it comes to UDO? I know uh, sort of the inspiration for a lot of this was the Charlotte 2040 plan we talked about last year at at length. Um, And you and others on council had some concerns about how this thing develops when it comes to UDO and, and, and some of your concerns.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, and most importantly, if you're a new a new listener uh, on, on the show and you're learning about this for the first time, you pronounce it Udo um, for everyone that wants to know. So remember to you, do that you do when not. you're out in public. Um, my, my largest uh, my largest kind of concern is how we did it last year with what led to this, the 2040 comp plan. If the Udo is like Larkin said, a bunch of the ordinances now being updated and coming together in a cohesive set, the 2040 Comp plan was the vision statement and and kind of you know the 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 uh, barometer if you will for that journey. So we did a lot of things that we could have done a lot better back then as it related to how we came to consensus. Really, I think is number one. So in council earlier this week, uh, I made a recommendation um, that ultimately we come up with three buckets per council member early on, transparently with each other are, you know, things that are nice to have things that are really important and things that ultimately like if we don't get solved, I'm a no vote. So that way staff can start working on those things. Um, We can start debating them as a group and it doesn't become like a, all right, let's do as much as we can. And then everyone decides at the last minute how they're gonna vote. And I think that will play its way uh, really importantly into the community's touch points, which is, This is a really complicated topic. So if you go to all the sites and you read up, it's gonna be like looking at a new foreign language for most people. That's why I think what we really need community feedback on is when we get to those must-haves between council members, you know, who what does the community think about the the really binary options when it comes down to the most controversial parts abolishing single family zoning using community benefit agreements putting density in commercial areas where we really need it ultimately
0: through height and and density so we can get the number of, of ultimate units we're lacking why is this year why is this year a make or break year when it comes to transit
2: and transportation well i think it's a big year because we're, what we're talking about doing is making a big splash and doing a lot of stuff at once. What we've done, as you mentioned, was we create you know, the first half of the blue line. A decade later, we, we opened the second half of the blue line. These things have been done sort of one at a time, piecemeal. And what we wanna do now is, as it's named, a transformational mobility network. And it doesn't just mean expanding our rail system. It also means improving our roads. It also means connecting our sidewalk network, cre- connecting our trail system, uh, lots of things. And, and maybe most importantly, improving our bus service improving the frequency of it, improving the the quality of the buses on it, um, giving people options. We, we are a city of, we'll be a city of a million people in the not too distant future. And while in the past, you know, having a bunch of single family houses on half acre lots and having every single person driving by themselves in a, in a single passenger vehicle might have worked for a city of 200,000 or 300,000 people. It's not working for a city of almost 900,000. Soon to be a million people and so we've got to give people options we've got to give people alternatives to those types of things uh it doesn't mean that those things don't exist any longer but it do means that it does mean that people have options for alternatives and so trying to do a lot of things at once and trying to do them with uh, a lot of funding at once i think is what makes this different than years past and conversations about transportation
0: tark I, let me be clear are, do you disagree with anything that larkin just said or it, are you concerned and i know you have been concerned about in the past how all of that gets done because you have about 12 layers of government you have got to get through um, and multiple stakeholders that sometimes are not always talking to each other.
1: Yeah, I I don't think there's anything Larkin just said that I don't wholeheartedly agree with. The the opportunity, uh, the timing, the opportunity to unlock federal money. um, And we know we need transformational investments in how people get moved. Like everything, the devil's in the details of which, you know, like you mentioned, multiple steps from the towns to um, the general assembly to the federal dollars being unlocked to the community actually voting in a referendum to make things, certain things happen. I mean, all that in the process is really challenging. But for me, it boils down to something even more fundamental than that, which is what's the plan, the plan and how we come to it amongst all those groups are the recipe for success too often in the past. It's been a small group of people that have decided behind closed doors, what it's gonna be then gone and rebranded and marketed it again. And what we really need is a plan that we can take advantage of and get con- consensus with all the folks to unlock the transformational investment. And the problem is, it's not gonna be just a straight up light rail plan with some marketing sprinkled of, there's some sidewalks too, right? It's got light rail, as we saw in South End, which you mentioned before is amazing from an economic development perspective. Look at all the growth and everything that transformed around there. But is it easier to drive around South End today than it was 15 or 20 years ago? The answer is clearly no. So is it a powerful tool? Sure. We are spending money on moving people. And I don't necessarily agree that the formula that got us here is the one that's going to move people 20, 30 years from now. Larkin.
2: Yeah, it is absolutely going to be a heavy lift. Um, but as someone once said, we we don't do these things because they're easy. We do them because they're hard and it's critically important. So there are a lot of, of hoops to jump through. There are a lot of conversations that need to be had and it's going to be difficult, but it's important and, and we've got to do the work. New
0: data that we got this past week shows overall decrease in crime here in Charlotte last year. CMPD says violent crime Charlotte dropped by about 7%. Um, homicides also dropping 18%. And we should say here that Charlotte, one of uh, a few major cities that saw a decrease in homicides last year. That said, Tark, you 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 have still some concerns, yeah, I mean the,
1: the we always pay way too much attention to one number here, which is homicides. And while rightly so, we should be. But looking at those, we've learned very, very carefully over the last many years that the difference between a homicide and a shooting can be an inch of a bullet. So to not look too deeply into, you know, what that those kind of series of fateful events brought into a number and more into the whole picture of violent crimes in general, but then the property crimes, the rapes, which which have gone up, other things like that. And there's also kind of a thematic flow as folks grow into and we lose from the system and they go out there and become criminals. They don't start necessarily with homicides. They start with car break-ins, right? And different things like that, that ultimately get reported we see those stats rise, get unchecked, and they flow through a system—a criminal justice system that's broken. So, I mean, this is this is a, a driving an absolute steamliner, not a speedboat. And while we can look and nod at a little number like that here or there, um, it it should be nothing that gets us comfortable to sit back on our heels.
0: And finally, Larkin, I just want to get your 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 uh, two cents on the fact that this all happening, you guys juggling all of this. In what is now an election year originally was not but then it was delayed and then it was delayed a second time you guys have a primary it looks like it in, in may and then we don't know after that
2: yeah tentatively and to put to put a bow on what tark said he's right that we shouldn't just be focused on the homicide numbers we really got to look at total violent crime uh, and while we have made improvements, it's never good enough. We've got to continue working to to make people feel more safe in our community. Uh, the election does look like it's going to be a May 17th primary and tentatively a July general election for us, uh, but that's all still pending the appeal uh, right now of the case that's being litigated around the federal and state maps it doesn't have anything to do with the city maps but all of the election has been delayed and so we do anticipate that may primary is still going to happen
0: and larkin you're running for an at-large seat uh this coming year and tark you have so far are undecided um i have been elusively
1: not answering the question ben i will tell you um i am i am probably going to do something that i've decided on and i I am also working on something bigger as well around a slate of people to actually, you know, take advantage of what will be a real low turnout race more than likely in a, you know, very favorable potential year with a red wave for Republicans. So more to come on that.
2: Tariq Bakari for Dog Catcher 2022. Tariq Bakari,
0: I've got your quote, probably gonna do something I have decided on. Um, No dogs will be roaming these streets
1: without me knowing in the next election. I guarantee that. Thank you both for coming on.
0: We appreciate it. Uh, More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. This week, a panel of North Carolina judges says that recently drawn congressional maps and legislative maps can stand. Voting rights groups have said Republican maps were not drawn fairly and give Republicans a chance to increase their political power. The court didn't necessarily disagree with that though. The state Supreme Court will likely have the final say. Joining us now Dr. Michael Bitzer, professor of politics at Catawba College. Also, he actually wrote the book on this, literally the author of the book, Redistricting and Gerrymandering in North Carolina. Also, at this rate, going to become like a part-time host of Flashpoint. Uh, He he appears so often. Uh, Professor, thanks as always for coming on. We appreciate it. Always my pleasure. So we have this ruling from the three judges this past week, and sort of the, <laughs> m- m- the way I read it, my gist was not that they defended this, not that they liked it, not that they thought this is fair, not that they think that this is a good idea, not that they think this is democracy at its best, but they said, hey, this is legal, hey, this is partisan, and hey, this is redistricting in North Carolina. Is, is that fair?
3: very much so i mean i think the the gist is again redistricting is the most partisan most political activity in american politics nowadays and the court was interesting they found uh, through their judicial findings of intentional pro-republican partisan redistricting all 14 congressional districts they said they found intentional pro-Republican partisan redistricting. In 23 state Senate districts, including Mecklenburg, and 53 House districts, including in Mecklenburg, there was intentional pro-Republican partisan redistricting. So the findings were clear. What the court said was, there is no constitutional or legal remedy that they could utilize to say these are unconstitutional partisan gerrymandering so we've got the findings of clear partisan redistricting but the law the constitution of the state does not afford any remedy other than through the legislature
0: uh folks at home might be watching this and they're scratching their head thinking wait huh how does that work Basically, what you're saying is, as you've always said every time you come on the show, is this is a partisan activity, and it's going to stay that way. And and, and a court is limited what it can do about
3: it. Correct. And we oftentimes talk about this idea of judicial activism, that judges are making up the law when the legislature should be making up the law. What this opinion rendered on a number of areas, things like the free act, Elections Clause, things like equal protection, freedom of speech. The court held that there was no legal standard by which they could pronounce these maps as unconstitutional because those provisions don't allow the courts to make those kinds of pronouncements based in their historical reading of the Constitution of North Carolina.
0: All right. So, so what's next? Uh, I guess we've got primaries now in mid-May. Um, and and I, I assume this finally
3: ends up in front of the state Supreme Court. It does end up before the state Supreme Court. The lower court determined that indeed we would stay on the schedule towards a May primary, but the state Supreme Court could step in and say, we're going to put a further pause on those primaries or potentially try to have the hearing, render a decision before the calendar is required to start to meet that May primary.
0: So what, what do we know? a timeline for when the S- state Supreme Court might take this up?
3: We, uh, as of right now, we don't. Uh, we should hear fairly shortly from the state Supreme Court. The appeals have been made, and I would suspect that they would push this as an expedited review and potential decision. So what
0: I'm hearing you say is that all of this could change again at some point in the next few weeks or months.
3: We'll just have to wait to see what the state Supreme Court, the state's highest court, says about this decision and about the maps, ultimately.
0: Uh, on a separate issue entirely, but going to get you here while since you're our expert voting rights legislation uh, in, in D.C., um, there's is there any practical way forward if you have uh, senators like Manchin and Sinema saying, hey, I'm not willing to do away with the filibuster?
3: Not likely because you would need all 50 Democrats plus the vice president to basically make a rules change in the U.S. Senate. If two of them are not uh, conducive to doing so, then the, the the move to change the rules is basically dead in the water.
0: All right, professor of politics up at Catawba College, Michael Bitzer, Professor, thank you as always, we appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, more Flashpoint after this. All right, welcome back to Flashpoint. This week, a desperate plea from CMS, the superintendent asking people in the community, please sign up, be guest teachers or school bus drivers. It comes as Omicron jeopardizes in-person learning because too many staff members at this point are out or sick. WCNC Charlotte's Shamaria Morrison shares how the district is addressing the shortages.
4: We remain open, but it would be a stretch to say that our students are receiving the full level of support that we want to provide.
5: The CMS School District hasn't been able to keep up with teachers' absences, only covering less than 50% of classes with substitutes who need one. The district has had to pull its central staff from their offices to cover classes.
4: Thus far, we have been able to keep our schools open. With only a couple of classes being transitioned to remote learning due to safety concerns for our students.
5: Parents and students are noticing. There's uh, not enough staff or substitutes that there's a lot of kids sitting in classrooms without teachers, which is leading a lot of them to skip class and be roaming around, which is concerning to me. There's also a critical shortage of school nutrition staff and bus drivers.
4: Our capacity to cover transportation routes is approaching the maximum. And so any upturn in driver absences will impact our ability to transport students to and from school.
5: The school district is preparing for its toughest weeks yet in this pandemic. Even board members are preparing to sign up to cover shifts in classrooms. In Uptown, Shamaria Morrison, WCNC Charlotte
0: takes a village. All right, more Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Lots of talk this week about voting rights from the president and others, but I was wondering, what's wrong with our elections? Just out of curiosity, and let's be honest, we we can't trust the two political parties that got selfish motivations in election reform and what helps them out. So I shared what was, I I thought, a fascinating article from foreignpolicy.com, and it's labeled 10 problematic ways in which voting in the U.S. differs from the world. And, And when you compare our system to others, you realize... Uh, America has a, a, a wacky, complicated way of electing our leaders. In most other democracies, Democrats are gonna hate to hear this, but voter ID is actually quite common. And Republicans, you'll hate this, at least in some cases, that there's, voter registration is automatic or maybe even easy in some cases. So I found the list to be sort of bipartisan. Some people like it, some people won't, but it's always good to sort of give yourself some perspective about how some other places do it sometimes. Folks, come interact with me there on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, and we'll see you back here next weekend.